I'm finally not a weirdo anymore. Well, <laughs> you can disagree with that if you want to. But it's, it's that season finally where people don't look at me as strange for the things that I do. You know, the holidays, you either love them or you hate them. Uh, or you love parts of them and you hate other parts of them. The holidays are busy. They're, they're crowded. So many things going on. Hectic. Sometimes you get overwhelmed. This morning we were sitting back there trying to count. Okay, who, who are, who's going to do the offering? Because everybody's out of town, you know. One's off in Tennessee and one's off over here and one's off over here. What are we going to do? And, you know, God always provides. And people come through and here they are. But it's just that busyness because, you know, it's the week after Thanksgiving and we go, well, wait a minute, everybody's still Thanksgiving it up. Or maybe they ate so much they're laying in bed and can't roll out. I don't know. But, you know, there's things that go on. I remember my holidays growing up. I know you're laughing. You know how hard it was to find matching pajamas in all of our sisters? <laughs> I remember the holidays growing up and in our family, our entire family lived in the Fort Worth area, so we spent Christmas on the road. Um, we would get up insanely early because I've always been an early bird, so 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm up. That's just that's a stiff. I force myself to go back to bed sometimes, but I've always been that way. So we would get up insanely early and unwrap our presents and then get very frustrated when it was time to leave because... We would have cereal, something like that for breakfast. We'd open our presents, and then it was time to go. And so we'd hit the road, and we would drive, depending on where we were living. Uh, we spent most of our time in Bristol Hills or, or Saginaw. So we would drive the, the 30 to 45 minutes to Mom's house, which was which was uh, my mom's parents, and uh, spend most of the most of the morning and part of the afternoon there with me and my. I can't do the math anymore, but there were 15 or 16 cousins and aunts and uncles and everybody else that was there. Uh, you know, mom cooked most of the meal there and we would take it. So our cart was loaded with us and all this food and gifts for all the nieces and nephews and everything else. And so we would go and we would spend the day there. And then after that, we would get in the car and we would drive the hour across town to grandma's house, um, which was my dad's parents. And he didn't really get along with them. We went because our mom made him go. So... Uh, and it was just always on the road. It was a very long day for us. Uh, and sometimes it was good. And other times the best part was the conversation on the way home. Because um, you know how family is, right? Family is family. Uh, and family is good and family is bad. And one thing that always happened was the wondering over who exactly would show up. We always wondered who was going to be there. Who's going to be there this year? Who's going to be in Mama's house? You know, it's we, we had certain cousins we liked to play with and certain other cousins that we more fought with. So I wanted to know who was going to be there. You know, we had people in our family who um, lived different lives than we did. Were they going to be there? Uh, you have people you were excited to see. You had black sheep. I mean... Half of our day was spent wondering, half of the weeks leading up was spent wondering who was coming to dinner. And many times, depending on who was there, things got awkward. This week we begin a different Christmas series, and I'm calling Awkward Family Christmas. We've all had awkward family Christmases, right? Christmas is where you come together and sit at the table, and there are things, there are elephants in the corner that we're not going to talk about. Because if we talk about those elephants, things are going to blow up. Or 
just those people that you go, oh. and so you're nice because Mama told you to be nice. You know, awkward family Christmases. And this is going to be a series where we look at the notable figures in the lineage of Jesus. And this morning we begin with a series with a sermon titled, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Uh, and we begin in a passage that many of us skip over. Uh, and most of us never really hear sermons on. Today we are over in Matthew chapter 1. Starting in verse 1. There's no background to give. This is the beginning of the New Testament. It says, The historical record of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. Then David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon. Amon fathered Josiah. And Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Then after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Sheatiel. Sheatiel fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel fathered Abiud. Abiud fathered Eliakim. Eliakim fathered Azor. Azor fathered Zadok. Zadok fathered Akim. Akim fathered Eliud. Eliud fathered Eliezer. Eliezer fathered Nathan. Nathan fathered Jacob. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Messiah. So, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile of Babylon until the Messiah, 14 generations. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now, and we thank you, we praise you for your blessings. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for every, every jot and tittle of your word. Father, we thank you for every word that is contained. Father, we pray right now that you would use this time this morning, Father. Bless this time. Make your Make your message known. Father, use me as a vessel. May the words that I speak be yours. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. That was a Christmas story, right? <laughs> Aren't you in the Christmas mood now? Let's be honest. How many of you read that and go, Man, I got so much out of that? <laughs> I mean, most of us, we read that and we go, That's. That's the bagats, you know. We don't, we don't, we don't read the bagats. Uh, we don't read the bagats, and if we don't like it, we make it say what we want to say. I, I think you told me that once. So I didn't believe, I didn't agree with you. But okay, uh, you know, I read this, and you may be going, "Why in the world is this a text?" I mean, it's a bunch of names. Well, if you read your Bible, you know these names. You know who these people are. You know what this lineage is. And, and why I would pick this this morning is we start looking at the awkward family Christmas. Because we realize from here that our perfect Savior came from a family of imperfect people to save us from our sinfulness. This is Jesus' family history. This is who He comes from. And when you read this list, you find names that run the gamut of sins and the gamut of wins. I mean, there is people in here that you go, oh, and we're going to talk about some of them. But there are people that go, yes, 
You know, Abraham was the father of the nation. He had, it's through Abraham that Israel has the claim to the inheritance. And he is the man. He's the one that when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, they say, well, Abraham's our father, man. That's the guy that you call upon. They believe that, man, this is who it is. And Abraham has said, believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Man, that's a win. But the same man listened to his wife. That was not that whole When he was waiting on the promises of God, his wife said, I'm too old to have a kid. Take my handmaid. And in his weakness to follow truthfully in faith, he lay with the handmaid and has a baby. It causes all sorts of issues for the rest of history. That was a sin. The same man. A win and a sin. Then you have Judah, the tribe that, is, that Jesus actually comes from. His, his great, 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 whatever. What? 45th grandfather or whatever it is. And in greed, if you read the story of Judah over in Genesis, he led his brothers to sell Joseph. He was the one who said, Gaslighting is a big word now, right? Gaslighting. You don't really want to kill him. Let's make some money off of this. Let's sell him. Just then their cousins came down the road and he sold them to their cousins to slavery to Egypt. But then later, as the story progresses, it's Judah. When they come face to face with Joseph and Joseph has the power to, to, to do things unthinkable to them, put them in prison to keep them ever going back home, he's the one who stands in the gap for Benjamin. And proves that he's changed. A win. Then you have Ruth, a Moabite woman, whose love for her mother-in-law left a huge legacy. That's a win. Then you have David, the greatest king of Israel, right? He was a man after God's own heart, which was a win. But notice that phrase was said about him when he was a child. <laughs> when he became an adult, his life kind of went off the rails and he followed a child in this list with someone else's wife and murdered him to cover it up. And this was so salacious that not even her name is mentioned here in this genealogy. It says, David, father, Solomon, by Uriah's wife, because we don't say that she. Then you have Rehoboam, who turned from God and was given in the hands of Shishak, and he lost the temple treasury, all the gold. Everything that had been had been saved up and stored was lost. But then he humbled himself. And God relented and gave him more years. And he had Jehoshaphat, who followed the ways of David and began to reform, which was a whim. And then he partnered with the wicked kings of the northern kingdom and didn't listen to God's prophets. It was a sin. And then you had Hezekiah, who was faithful and followed the Lord. And then you have Manasseh, a wicked king, who undid all of his father's reforms and led Judah to, to sin worse than they had ever sinned. But then he repented and personally returned to God, but the kingdom was too far gone. Then you have Zerubbabel, who was used by God to rebuild the temple, even though people grumbled about how it happened. These are the people that Jesus comes from. Sinners and saints. Winners and losers. They're imperfect. They're messed up. They're marred. It isn't a perfect line with no errors. It wasn't a bunch of whole perfect people. You didn't look back and go, that's who he should have come from. That, that's
that's the man. It's as messed up as it can be. And it had to be that way because that's the way he can be our Savior. Because that's what he comes from. Because his family tree has lots of unsavory characters. But you know the same is true for us. We all have skeletons in the family tree. <laughs> we do. We all have those things we don't want to talk about, right? Those things that, that nobody wants to. It's, it's the whispers. It's the, it's the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's the we don't talk about this in, in polite company. You know, there are things we try to tell our children. Well, you can say that here at the house, but don't say that out loud. Don't let anybody hear this, right? We have those things. And we all have those stories and people that we don't want others to know about. Stories we're afraid for others to hear. From what I'm told, my great-grandfather died in prison. I can't confirm it. I can't deny it. Because we don't talk about it. It's whispered about. It's kind of hinted at. I never met him. I never saw him. He was never at any family gathering. The only person that could have given me any information about him passed away about four years ago. But it's a story we don't talk about. It's a skeleton in the family tree. It's that, it's that issue that, shh, we don't talk about that. And don't ask her about that. That's what they say. Because that's mom's daddy. Don't ask her. Okay. I won't. I'm not going to. I don't know what's going on. We all have stories and people like that. Things we would rather not talk about. But those stories add up to who we are. They shape us. They mold us. They make us. One of the ways that we're like Jesus and that Jesus is like us is that we have messy family. We have messy family. Family's messy. Sometimes it's difficult. But they're a part of who we are for better or for worse. But you know what? Our family doesn't define us. Our family doesn't define us. That's the next one. We aren't our family, and we don't have to be who our family is or who our family was. Jesus has a sordid family history, but he is still the unblemished Lamb of God. Just because some of his family were called evil doesn't mean that Jesus is evil. He isn't defined by his family. Nobody is. Even in this list, we have examples of people who broke the family mold. Hezekiah was, was, Hezekiah's father was wicked. He was wicked. But Hezekiah was good. And everything written about him in scripture is good. And he was a good king. And he followed God and did the things he was supposed to do. And he, he, he overturned his father's stuff. And he did all of these great things. And then Hezekiah's son comes along. And he's one of the most wicked kings in all of Israel's history. Their family didn't define them. Their family didn't say who they were supposed to be. And yours doesn't define you. It doesn't matter who's in your family tree. It doesn't matter what your ancestors or relatives did or were doing. That doesn't define you. It doesn't matter what they've said to you or told you or labeled you. How often our family says things to us that label us and get inside our heads and make us feel like we are something we are not. Our words have power. This is a different sermon, but anyway. Our words have power. And sometimes if we as family say things 
that can hurt someone and stop them where they are. But our family doesn't have to define us. We are who our family says we are. My family never pictured me doing this. I was supposed to be rich. I was supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer or make some good... That was the plan. That was the plan. And when this happened, when God began to work, I was the black sheep for a while. There are still some family circles where I am still the black sheep. In the white robe. You know, I mean, it's just the way it works. We know our family doesn't define us. They can't tell us who we are. They may, they may, they may pour into us. They may affect us. But you don't have to be who your family is. Just because your family is caught up in things that God wouldn't like you to be a part of, you don't have to be a part of that. You can step away from that. You don't have to be stuck there. And that can be good or bad, right? I mean, I've seen people who turn their back on the church because of how their family lived out Jesus. The thing about Jesus is he's full of grace. I've said it before, my mama was um, I ever said this, I kind of wanted to sign the cross or something. My mama was at times a sinful woman. But she taught me unconditional love. It didn't matter what I had done, how I had hurt somebody, how I had hurt her. There was forgiveness. There was love. There's grace. That's who we're called to be. That's what family should be. <laughs> That's what family should be. We shouldn't have to hide things from family. Because family should be the place where there isn't any judgment. Where there's love. There may be correction. No, don't get me wrong. We, you know, maybe we hide them because we're afraid of correction. But we need to have grace. We need to do things that, that we're called to do because our family doesn't define us. Our family doesn't make us who we are. Just because they tell you you can't doesn't mean you can't. Family doesn't define us. And when you read this list too, we see that Jesus wasn't only Jewish which allows him to be the savior of all. You're going, what? Jesus was a Jewish carpenter. Okay. But in his lineage, you have Ruth, who was a Moabitess. She was a Moabite. You have Rahab, who was a Canaanite from Jericho. You have Bathsheba, who was married to Uriah the Hittite, and so most scholars would, make, would, would assume that she is a Hittite. And the interesting thing here is, you may be saying, you're making too much of this, Brother Troy, but the code of Jewish law clearly states that a child of a Jewish mother is Jewish, regardless of the father's lineage, or whatever else may show up in the DNA test, while the child of a non-Jewish mother is not Jewish. Matrilineal descent, or 
descent traced by mothers, has been a fundamental principle of Torah since the Jewish people came into existence. Jesus didn't come for one group of people. He didn't come just for Jewish people. He came for all groups of people. He came for all of us. He came to a lost and broken people through a lost and broken family to bring wholeness to those who cannot make themselves whole. I love this passage of Scripture. When Carrie and I started dating, she thought I was out of my mind. She did. I remember a drive home from Brownwood back to Garland, taking her home. She was. She asked me. She asked me about something about. It. I said, "No, I love Matthew one." And she said, "Huh?" And we just started going through that list and seeing who these people are and understanding what that meant for me. Because if Jesus had come from a long line of high priests who would never sin, what does that matter? But Jesus came from a family like mine and like yours. With all the mess, with all the sordidness, with all the things, He came from that type of person. And we're going to look at some of those stories in the next few weeks leading up to Christmas. He came through this family, much like yours or mine, to remind us that we're all alike in our humanity. And we all have the same hope no matter where we come from. The hope is still there, no matter where we come from. So we begin this season of Christmas, we're going to take this short journey, look at these notable figures. Stop and ask yourself what you can learn from the strange people in your own family. The good, the bad, maybe the other guy. We have a tendency to put Christmas in a pretty little box with a pretty little bow and see it as beautiful. And it is beautiful. But it's messy. The whole the whole ordeal is messy. I had a professor, my Hebrew professor, an undergrad, would always say, whenever God deals with humanity, it gets muddy and it gets bloody. We're not going to have the typical Christmas story every every week this season. But I want us to remember right now how messy that story in itself is. An engaged couple. And suddenly she's pregnant. And it's a small town. And in small towns, people talk. It was messy. And then, can you imagine ladies being nine months pregnant and having to take a, a road trip and didn't have cars? So you walked or you rode a donkey, nine months pregnant, 20, 30, 40 miles. Just so you can go and try to find a place to stay because you couldn't log on to Travelocity.com and book a hotel room. You had to get there and hope 
while everybody else in your lineage was in that same small town that you could find a room, a place to stay. Half of us won't start a road trip without knowing where we're going to stay that night. Half of us, we have to know where we're going to stay. We're making phone calls. We're, we're booking rooms. They couldn't book a room. They just had to go. It's messy. The entire story of Christmas and the incarnation and who Jesus is is messy. But he came that way to bring us hope. A hope that nobody else can bring. A hope that the messiness allows us to have. Maybe this morning you're going, Brother Troy, you're out of your mind. Maybe I am. It's for Jesus, so it's okay. Maybe this morning, maybe you've been struggling with the awkwardness of the holidays because they're awkward. I would just say, take a deep breath and ask God to show you the message in everyone around you. Because there's a message in everybody. Maybe this morning, you're dreading the holidays. Maybe you're going, I don't even want to deal with the decorations. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with any of it. I don't want to go in the stores. I don't want to cook. Maybe that's you this morning. in your mind to the wonder that is God incarnate. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar is open. I'll, I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to surrender missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church of membership. Maybe this morning you want to do something that I haven't even brought up. Maybe um, maybe something that God has laid something on your heart you need to share. Now's the time to share it. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus. Maybe you've never known the one who stepped down out of heaven, was born to a young girl. Maybe you've never known it. That unblemished Lamb of God. Now's the time. What better time to have Jesus born in your heart than the season where we celebrate his birth into the world? Just walk down to Brother Troy. I want to know Jesus, so we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings.